You are listening to The Booked Podcast. This is Chuck Wendig, author of Blackbirds and Mockingbirds. You are duct taped to a chair with your eyelids peeled back. Please enjoy the ride. Jim West, Desperado, Rough Rider. No, you don't want nada. None of this. Six gun in this, brother running this. Buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you. Any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress when she meet Jim West. Rough neck, so go check. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, we're going to be reviewing Dead Man's Road by Joe R. Lansdale. Um, typically, we'd read the bio, but this bio is longer than a couple of the stories that are that are actually uh, in this book. <laughs> so I'm going to pick out just some choice stuff to talk about here. So Lansdale has written over 30 novels, lots of short stories. He's written for comics, television, film, newspapers. Most importantly, in my opinion, he writes the Happen Leonard series, of which I'm a huge fan. And I believe I've read all but the newest one. I have to check on that. Um, he also wrote the short story that uh, that was uh, Bubba Hotep that was adapted into one of my all-time favorite films. Um, he's written just a ton of other things. He had uh, Incident on and Off a Mountain Road was adapted to Showtime's Masters of Horror TV show, which I saw, and it was very, very good. Um, here's the thing I didn't know. Dude, this dude is the founder of a martial arts system. Shen Chuan Martial Science and its affiliate Shen Chuan Family System. That's pretty goddamn impressive he must hang out with frank bill then he might dude he's a member of the united states and international martial arts halls of fame like (laughs) you would think that like the guy that has that like doesn't bother with writing like he just kicks people's ass that's all he does he's he's obviously got no time for pets either right um no he has pets he has a wife well that's not a pet a dog (laughs) and two cats i guess sorry i skipped right the last line of the bio and he that lives in an, un, an unpronounceable town in Texas. Which, um, I think the second half of that town is the name of the book that all the bad shit came from and the stories we're going to be talking about. Huh. Interesting. Am I right? Yeah, I think you might The be. Book of Doches? Doches? Yeah. That's hmm. interesting. Very interesting. So, um... I'm going to let you read the synopsis, and then we'll kind of talk about what this book really is. All right, so here is the synopsis that was pulled. Um, I don't remember. I think it was either Amazon or we pulled it off of the, the Tachyon, I think is the name of the publisher, their website. Deadwood meets The Walking Dead in this wild and profane western romp featuring zombies, werewolves, killer bees, and one pissed-off gunslinging preacher. Wild West has never seen the likes of Reverend Jebediah Mercer, a hard man wielding a burning Bible and a bottle of whiskey in the battle between God and the devil. Frankly, he's not sure he gives a damn who wins, as the not-so-good Reverend tangles with a Lovecraftian horror and joins a renegade named Flower to battle a horde of cannibalistic fiends. Only this is certain, Mercer's blasphemous journey is laced with relentless action, terrifying evil, and non-stop humor. This supernatural epic of the Old West that never was will leave you heartily cheering for the good guys if you can just figure out who the good guys are. A little, a little confusing. The person's name was Flower. And that's why it was kind of difficult to read because who names someone Flower? Dude, my mom's Romanian name is Flower. Oh, all right. Do we, do we have to throw down over what you just said? No, I, I mean, I guess if I could, I could have done Flo or Florence or something like that, but just saying... A renegade named Flower? I don't know. Have I ever mentioned on the podcast that my parents promptly, after naming me Livius, promptly changed their names to George and Florence? Really easy, pronounceable, readable, writable names. Oh, they did? Yeah, they did. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Well, no, that's fine because everybody who listens to the podcast or meets you is like, oh, Livia is such a cool name. And then they're like, hey, Rob. It's because they don't all realize there's two B's. It changes the whole thing. Yeah. It's much cooler with two B's, by the way. Well, yeah. I mean, who does that? Only me. All right. So a little (laughs) bit about this this book, because it's it's a little convoluted. Um, I had originally um, come across this as a new release. I think it was from my, like, authors you've read on Goodreads email. Mm. And I was looking for something called Dead Man's Crossing. Well, it turns out that Dead Man's Crossing... Plus this um, previously published novella, Dead in the West, together make Dead Man's Road. 
So real quickly, if you like what we have to say and you're buying this, we'll talk about Dead Man's Crossing. We'll talk about Dead in the West. If you want both of them, you have to buy the print version. Which if you is buy called, the ebook version, which is called Dead Man's Road. Right. Right. If you buy Dead Man's Crossing on the Kindle, you're only going to get part of what we're talking about this evening. Yeah. If you buy both, you're sure to have everything. Yes. And hopefully the folks that... I'm going to butcher this. You need publishers with easy to pronounce names. Tachyon? Ta- Tachyon? What do you think? I think it's Tachyon. Tachyon? Um... Uh, will appreciate you buying the print edition um, so you can get both of them, but I'm sure they'll appreciate purchase of the Kindle edition as well. Yeah. Dude, and it's cool. They sent us a Moby. They, like, made, like, a Moby for us. You know they, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I saw the email back and forth, and I was like, see, now that is, like, that's character there. That's, you know, that's integrity. Someone's mm-hmm. willing to go the extra mile for you to give you something that's not a PDF. Yes. <laughs> it's just PDFs are just... Yeah. yeah, it's like a bad word now. Every time I say PDF, <laughs> I like feel like I need to spit. I'm in the middle of writing an article about PDFs as we speak. Well, not right at this minute, but are you going to send it around to everybody as a PDF? Um, because that, that be would be funny. Yeah, yeah. Only available as a PDF. You have to download <laughs> this and read it in Acrobat Reader. Yeah, um, it's like a password protected PDF that like you need reader. Yeah, exactly. a specific. Yeah. Yeah, just print it out and read it because that's uh, never mind. Anyway, let's get back to this. So, um, I think initially we should probably talk about um, Dead Man's Crossing. Sure, is that that the right way yeah. to do this? Yeah, so that's the way we read it, I guess. So that's probably the the right way to to do this. Yeah. So Dead Man's Crossing, Jebediah Mercer. Um, he's a reverend, and I think Rob did a, a great job because in the notes he actually um, I don't know copied and pasted or something. Um, this this self-description of uh, of Reverend Mercer. Would you like me to, to read this for the folks? Go for it. I am on a mission from God. I do not like it, but it is my mission. I'm a hunter of the dark and a giver of the light. I'm the hammer and the anvil, the bone and the sinew, the sword and the gun. God's man who sets things right, or at least as, <clears throat> or at least right as God sees them. Me and him, we do not always agree, and let me tell you, he is not the God of Jesus. He is the God of David, and the angry city killers, and the man killers, and animal killers of the Old Testament. He is constantly jealous and angry, and if there is any plan to all of this, I have yet to see it. Yeah, I thought that there was no better way to describe this uh, protagonist than with his own words. True, and that's a... Uh, it should get a little bit into the uh, <laughs> the mechanics of the story. That was a little hard to read in the kind of non-real flowing olding reading it out loud was a little tough right. i stumbled yeah. hopefully listeners um, didn't hear me well, stumble because you took care of it but <laughs> <laughs> in the old westy kind of language it is yeah yeah and you know let's let's start there for a second lansdale did one bang up job in uh in delivering this in in kind of old westian english i think i mean it's one of the things i enjoyed most was some of the like the banter and the descriptions but not told in the way we tell them today Told in, right. a, in a very, you know, whatever, 200 years ago almost, I guess. Um, if not, yeah, about 200. Is that right? 200 years ago? Um, what was it? Probably like late 1800s. So 150 ish? 150 years ago, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that was really, really enjoyable to, to, to read that way. I really like that a lot. Yeah, to get down a, a period uh, language is probably pretty crucial to, to selling your story. So, he did a good job with, um, yeah, just the way that old like minor prospector type people would talk and the the priorities and the you you fall into that whole thing about how women are treated and how minorities are treated and everything and it just came off as very authentic um, and not not like weirdly gratuitous like he was just using it as a place where he could you know subjugate women or something. That's uh, it's just <laughs> I'm gonna. To throw out this quote, this is like got to be one of my favorite lines in here. There's a there's a guy and he's he's talking to this prisoner and he says, "You're gonna shit and fall back in it." Love it, <laughs> love it. I think it's a perfect example. I'm sure it's exactly how everybody talked in the uh, prospector minor times, as, as Rob so eloquently put it. So many beans were eaten back in those days. You're gonna shit and fall back in it. I'm gonna start telling people that, and they're just gonna look at me really, really confused. But I will enjoy the hell out of it. I do remember that part. I was really happy with the you're going to shit and fall back in it quote. So these stories um, 
are all uh, basically reprints. Um, Dead Man's Crossing contains four stories, and uh, the theme to them is all, they're all tied together by Reverend Mercer, but they're all um, definitely readable as standalone stories, and I think that you get just enough of a gist um, that, you know, you don't really need to know a whole lot else. Right. I'll agree like, with you that. could have read these in any order. There was really nothing that related back to another story or anything. And, uh, but they're all pieced together kind of as one, as one continuous thing. Like so the, I don't like know if we should talk about of... these individually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah, know if I it's mean... worth talking about these individually. Um, or I, I don't know. This we're, sure. we're kind of presented with a challenge. Usually when there's a collection, we pick a couple favorites and, and go that way. But I guess we can go right down the line. Yeah, let's just talk um, about Let's give each of them a minute or two. Sure. The first story is Dead Man's Road. That originally appeared in Weird Tales back in 2007, a long, long time ago. Um, and it's uh, it's our introduction to, to Reverend Mercer. And basically he uh, stops in this particular town to get to get a bite to eat and find a place to, to lay his head down for the night. And he finds out about uh, Gimmit, who <laughs> is a uh, an evil undead person. Um, who's causing the town, not necessarily the town problems, but there's a particular area that you can't go through at night or the gimmick will get you. Yeah. The thing I dug about this was since it was at the very front, um, it really sets the precedent for what you can expect from a story involving Jebediah Mercer, the Reverend, Mm -hmm. um, because it's just really weird. Um, And it's got that kind of, I'm trying to think of, I, I can really see all the stories presented here in like a late night horror show kind of thing where it's just a bunch of short story kind of horror like things, you know what I'm talking about? Like a, mm-hmm. like a TV show. Cause, um, I mean, yeah, it's just a very quick setup. You know, he, he rolls into this town that he's never been to before and he decides he's going to travel for a small amount of time with some people and they want to get somewhere as quick as possible. And the quickest way is on this dead man's road, which, you know, obviously, that's the place you're not supposed to go to. And so they, they, you know, not being around there, not being from around there, decide they want to go there anyway, cause it's faster. And then they have to hear the story of why they shouldn't. And then from there, kind of the story picks up, which is um, where the action just falls right on you. I'm going to go ahead and read another passage I had highlighted, because again, I think this is really indicative of the, the type of, prose used in this and it's about Gimmit and it's kind of part of his um, origin story so this one's a little longer I was going to try to do this with an accent but I know I can't do it as good as I can do my British accent so I'm going <laughs> to read this as straight as I can <laughs> Gimmit lived in a little shack off Cemetery Road he raised bees and brought in honey to sell at the community up the road guess you could even call it a town Shao is the way the place is known on account of a fella used to live up there that was named Shao he died and got ate up by pigs, right there in his own pen, just keeled over, slopping the hogs, and then they slopped him all over that place. A store got built on top of where Shaw got et up, and that's how the place came by the name. Gimmit took his honey in there to the store and sold it, and even though he was a turd, he had some of the best honey you ever smacked your mouth around. Wish I had me some now. It was dark and rich and sweeter than any sugar. Think that's the one reason he got away with things. People don't like killing and such, but they damn sure like their honey. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said, so much easier to read on the page than it is out loud, and it just gives this this like perfect feel to these characters. Like you can see them just based on the way they talk. Yep. Yeah. It's got the. It's a very authentic old west feel. Mm-hmm. So um, Jeb Mercer um, not only doesn't shy away from evil situations, but he feels it's really his mission. So even when presented with an out to do something other than go um, down Dead Man's Road. He insists that they go, and they go at night when he can face Gimmit. That's right. And that's kind of the theme throughout all the stories is uh, um, he kind of goes where the evil is because he's basically there to vanquish it. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. take the next one? Absolutely. So the next one, the next story is called The Gentleman's Hotel. So this one's kind of a similar situation. He rolls into a town, and he's looking for a place to stay for the night. And uh, there's a stagecoach that had been attacked by something unknown just before he rolled into town. So one of the first things that happens is he um, discovers this stagecoach, and and there's someone, uh, a survivor, 
inside of it. So he kind of rescues her, and they find a place to crash for the night. And um, through, uh, you know, the discovery of just being in this town and and, and everything, they figure out um, kind of that it's under attack by. I don't even know if I want to say what it is, but just like these freaky beasts. And of course, being who he is, he wants to to stop it, stop the evil. Yeah, and this has kind of an interesting twist in it because not only are there these you know kind of demonic creatures um, that that are there, but there are ghosts in this town, and they're they're it's a hotbed of activity. The Gentleman's Hotel, um, referenced by the story's title, is a bar that literally you walk into, and there's ghosts like drinking and playing cards and and, and screwing. You know, as a whorehouse, so they're 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 having sex up against you know in like these little stalls and. And it actually introduces a, a, an interesting character that I kind of wish we would have seen a little more of. But there was actually a sentient ghost. A yeah. ghost that knew he was a ghost and could communicate with them while all the other ones were completely oblivious to their to their presence. So I, I really like that because it was kind of a crossover. Not only do you have these demon-like creatures, you know, that these, these supernatural creatures. But you have like these ghosts too, which I thought was a really interesting part of the story. Yeah, and the whole thing with the ghosts is that they are kind of trapped there until the evil that made them ghosts is taken care of. Yep. Yeah. So in addition to wanting to save anybody alive, there is the uh, um, the motivation to try and release these spirits from like their kind of being kind of stuck in between worlds like type of thing. Yeah. And the cool thing, all right, one of the things I like about this story is that um, this goes into a little more, uh, like, all the stories have a different, it's not like every story, it's like a zombie or a werewolf or a vampire or some classic, you know, monster. He, he really gets pretty creative and unique, and then he includes some more historical things as well. So, like, the idea of, of conquistadors, because, like, you know, the time frame that the stories take place in, that's a lot closer to back when, like, you know, Spanish conquistadors were, you know, still kind of out and about. So um, th- that gets tied in in a way. And it's really interesting that he goes not only with, like, these supernatural or mythical beings, but also ties it in with the history of, you know, our country around the, you know, the time and before the time that this takes place in. See, that's what Rob liked. Here's what I liked. Well, Mary said... I hope this is some like them other things, or otherwise we can bend over now and look up between our legs and piss on ourselves. <laughs> there was that, too. I am going to commit some of these things to memory and just randomly throw them out at people. So, that was uh, Mary. You're going to shit a, and fall in it or whatever. That's it right. Shit and fall back in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that was from Mary, who I also liked in this story. Um, she was, uh, she, she was a, a working girl, and... Uh, just just great. The women that he portrays in this are just awesome. All of them. They're through every story. I, I love the women characters that he does. Yeah. So. All right. Moving along to story number three, The Crawling Sky, which originally appeared in Son of Retro Pulp Tales 2009. Um, all of these stories start with, I mean, let's face it, they're westerns. Every western starts with a guy rolling into town, right? So <laughs> <laughs> the good reverend um, rolls into town. Uh, and finds a man who's being uh, kept in a what, what passes for a jail cell, which is kind of a picture like a, like a cage out in the middle of the street, and there's kids like throwing rocks at him. So he inquires as to what what this person did. And everyone says he's crazy. Well, it turns out that um, they think he's crazy because he has this nutty story that he tells about um, kind of moving into a place he found the woods that had been abandoned, but um, you know had, had been. It was in really good shape, and, and he gets married, and he moves in there, and then really, really bizarre things start to happen. So, of course, uh, Jeb, Jebediah, a reverend, um, again, feels compelled to go out there with this man and investigate and try to uh, vanquish the evils that have plagued the little log cabin that he lived in. Yep. That's all I got for that one. <laughs> there were no women for me to, to, to mimic or... Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. Um the thing all right and and I'm just going to point this out this is something that's kind of a a theme throughout but it was one of the things that I I noticed more in this story was um how the reverend treats his horses. Um 
practically in every story, there's a moment where like him and the people who are with him are in some sort of imminent danger. And he always wants to take care of his horses and make sure that they're not, you know, they don't fall prey to whatever evil thing is going on. And um, it's kind of, I guess it must have been not very typical for the time because every time he tells someone to do something that's kind of above and beyond for his horse, they they think he's crazy. Um, but yeah, <laughs> there's this one moment where in, in, the, in preparation for battling evil, he's doing this like elaborate setup inside of a house and uh, he makes it specifically so that the horse can, you know, benefit from the protection as well and I thought it was uh it's kind of funny and then but like every story that, that that exists has uh in in that we read has some sort of I believe almost if not all most of them have some sort of consideration from the horse for the horse built into it it's interesting that you picked that up because I think right when I got to that story I was thinking to myself like man this guy sure goes through horses <laughs> like that's like I mean, I guess it's the other side of it. Maybe he just knows that the horse is going to die, so he mm-hmm. wants to at least like make an effort to help it as much as possible. So you talked about preparation, and one of the things I found very interesting was um, he's very knowledgeable and, and kind of forearmed with this this knowledge of, of not specifically how to fight a, a specific demon, but he has like these, these tools in his arsenal. Like He has some idea and some concept of... Um, of what to do, and th- this will become important a little later, I think, when we talk about the the, the separate novella. But um, he's just an interesting guy. As you're reading these stories, you know, and, and they're all—it's it, very obvious—they're standalone stories as you're reading them. There's no real, you know, flow to them as far as you know. I think carrying over from one into the other, but it just really wants makes you want to know more about this guy. Like the little things he mentions, or like how he learned these things, you know. There's yeah. there's a bigger story behind it that that you want to know, or at least I wanted to know while I was reading it. And I thought that that's what made, <clears throat> a, you know, a set of stories that were interesting on their own, kind of made it into a bigger thing. Was kind of my desire and caring enough about this guy to find out, like, how did he become this person? Right. You know, so, for sure. All right. The next one little story I like to call The Dark Down There, because that's the name of the story. Now, this is one, if you ask me, where we start to see a little bit more swagger <laughs> from uh, from the Reverend, because he uh, rolls into town. It's It, it it's, looks like it's kind of abandoned or in, in ill repair. It's obviously there's, you know, something bad has happened to this town. And he finds the place where most of the people of the town are, and as he's getting ready to go into this building, he notices a bunch of people who look like miners or prospectors or whatever are kind of creeping up on him as if they're going to take his horse or they look maybe desperate enough even to like just kill it and eat it. Um, (laughs) So he decides he's going to take his horse with him into the building he's going into, which is kind of like looks obviously like the main hub of a building in this town, the one that's still got some sort of thriving activity to it. And, And like I said before, this is where we start to see the swagger. The person who's running the building tells him he's got to get out of there with the horse and uh, and he kind of says you know or what more or less and uh the or what is a couple of big fat guys who are going to rough him up or kill him or whatever and and he makes short work of them in a way that's just like damn this guy is not messing around he's all business agreed it's uh Another flower, fantastic character. <laughs> flower. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, although I said the Reverend's a really intriguing person, um, a lot of what happens is, uh, you know, a lot of what makes these stories great are the characters. Uh, don't don't kid yourself. They're a device, because that's the character. The side characters are always how he finds out about what's going on. Um, even my sentient ghost friend from the from the second story, that's really the purpose he serves. He's the one that says, this is what went down. You know, so so the Reverend can get an idea of where you go. But the characters are just really rich and entertaining. Um, and in, in Flower's case, she comes complete with, you know, the crazy cousins and brothers that used to, like, you know, force themselves on her when she was little and stuff. So she's got this kind of crazy backstory, but she's just really this no-nonsense, um, you know, woman that, that, he, uh, that works alongside him. And I believe it's the only story in which maybe he didn't lose his horse. Um, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the idea behind this story is that uh, it's a silver mine that uh, it seems like people are dying mysteriously. And they're to the point where they're afraid to go into the silver mine, especially at night. Um, so, of course, that's exactly where the Reverend wants to go. And Flower, being the kind of industrious, maybe a little bit greedy person, wants to go with to see if she can get a hold of some of that silver. And then they kind of, against odds, become somewhat friends. Yeah, well, she's a little bit of a naysayer. You know, so she's like, yeah, there's nothing going on there, so... Yeah, she doesn't believe the, the 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 stories that are going on about like monsters and stuff. She thinks it's just a bunch of greedy people who are trying to keep the rest of the prospectors away so they can get all the silver for themselves. Yep. Yeah. So that puts a wrap on what we're calling or what the the publishers call Dead Man's Crossing. So four tales. Um, before we go on this other one, I think one of the things and Rob and I were talking on the phone earlier, and he goes, "Yeah, we haven't exactly done like a supernatural western." Well, I don't. I know that there are some out there. Um, it's not uh, it's not something that comes up a lot, um, but I think one of the really interesting things about doing it, and we'll talk more. I'll talk more about this in this next um, novella that we're going to talk about, is that there's kind of a little special feeling. You know, we're so used to, and, and the, the the novella, the the freestanding novella. I don't even know what to call it, Dead in the West. I, I don't know how to refer to it anymore. Um, it's about zombies, which is such a cool mm-hmm. concept that you have zombies in the. You know, in the old west, because every time you think about a zombie movie, you know, watching the the Walking Dead, they they hole up in a prison, and there's all these places they can lock themselves in it. But everything's built out of just like, you know, cheap wood and falling apart, and you're out in the woods, and it's a whole different feel. And you don't have any of the resources um, that you have now. You have, you know, you have a revolver with six shots in it. You you have a shotgun. There's no machine guns. There's no, you know, the the modern technology that we've become used to. You don't can't hole up at the mall, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of a very different feel, and in some ways, a lot scarier for me as a reader to read these things happening in the small town where there's no there's no military to come save you. There's no you know I mean there's no high rise apartment buildings you can you know lock yourself in. It's you know everything's one story, two stories tops, and the swinging little wooden doors on the front. You can't just barricade yourself behind steel. So it makes it a little a little scarier for me and definitely more interesting in how the characters are going to get out of, if they're going to get out of a particular situation. And let's not forget outhouses. You can't even go to the bathroom in your house. You have to like go outside at night in the dark to get to the outhouse. Terrifying. Which means you're going to shit and fall back in it. (laughs) Very nice. Have you ever, have you ever used an outhouse? I have actually built an outhouse when I was in Alaska Dude, that's crazy. You built one? Yeah, well, I helped. I wasn't. I didn't do it well, well, no, I know you weren't like the engineer <laughs> behind it or whatever, but. But yeah, we dug the, we dug the, we dug it out. We, mm-hmm. you know, fortified the wall, like did the whole thing and then built the actual outhouse part. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I've, I, when I was in Europe, um, which is a long time ago, but yeah, outhouses, my, uh, my grandparents, they, they had an outhouse and that's what it was for the, whatever, three or four weeks I was there. Kind of weird, right? Did you have, uh, when I was in Alaska, it was no electricity, no running water. Yeah, that's that's what it was there, where, where they lived. Um, yeah, they would, there was a, um, I don't know, probably, I say like four or five houses away was a was a well, a pump. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And that's, yeah, someone would go and just pump water, and that's what you washed with, or, or yeah, it was, it was weird. Good thing we didn't have a podcast going on back then. Yeah, it would have been, we would have had to do it on like two tin cans and a string. Or like a like a radio where you crank it to, to power it, like you have a crank yeah, to generate power. Yeah, something like that. It's just so wild that people live. Well, this was you know, thirty years ago, twenty five years ago. But yeah, it's just weird <laughs> to think that people still live like that. Yeah, it's like they weird. had no internet. It's crazy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, for me, yeah, and you probably too. The internet didn't even exist. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. there was definitely books. That's when I read. I, uh, that's when I read uh, my last Stephen King book. I read. Uh, uh, Tommy knockers, I think, while I was up there. Nice. Yeah, it was almost like living in Jeb Mercer's time. No I know, internet. right? Yeah. No yeah. smartphone. No phone. No no cell phone. Yeah. Wow. The Reverend with some uh, guns rolled through town. Yeah. So, all right, let's go ahead and talk about Dead in the West. It's um, easily the longest of these uh, stories. It's probably about the same length as those four together, right? Did you get that? 
I'd say, yeah, like um, at least two-thirds to three-quarters of the length of the everything else combined. So what makes this one different from the other ones is it's basically the closest thing, at least at this point, I think, that we're going to get to an origin story um, for, for the Reverend. Uh, Reverend rolls into town. No surprises there. Um, and, and he knows he's on this mission from God. But so far at that point, it's pretty much just been fighting evil doers sinners and the like um and he's not very specific but you kind of get the feeling that you know maybe some robbers or murderers or something he's put down so he's already very well trained at gunplay and 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 fighting you know wrongdoers but at that at this point it doesn't seem that he's running anything supernatural yet he has been kind of felt like he was driven to this town by some dreams that he had Um, right but yeah, there there doesn't seem to have been. So like I said, I don't. This is probably the closest to an origin story that exists. I'm assuming that all the Mercer works. I'm assuming are collected in this. I don't know if there are other ones trickling about out there. Well, he does have like 18 collections of short stories or something. But yeah, um, yeah definitely more of an origin story feel to this. And, and a couple of elements that stood out to me were the fact that yeah, he didn't really know a lot about supernatural. Like, it's obvious in some of these other stories that he knows there's supernatural shit going down and he knows kind of what to look for. And in this one, he's still kind of naive about that type of stuff. He's also still looking at doing sermons. So one of the things is he asks to uh, for permission, basically, to do a sermon that he in the town that he rolls into, you know, to kind of actually spread the word of God, but also to kind of be able to afford to eat and stuff like that. So it's a little bit different. And, um, and there's uh, parts where he's actually questioning what his purpose is or, or, you know, why he's been forsaken and things like that. So it's not as clear in his mind that he is this uh, God's man who sets things right type of person. Yeah, he's a very different character. He does spend a lot more time kind of lamenting in this one where what we get in the other four stories, which again, at least um, chronologically in his life, um, appear to be later, is that he's a lot more um, like, yeah, there's supernatural stuff and I just need to kick its ass, and he kind of does it in some cases even maybe with a little bit of a smirk. Right. Whereas in this story, he's uh, you know, he's, he's boozing it up pretty heavy, kind of hates himself for doing it. He's trying not to slip into into sin, where it seems like in the other ones he's just kind of accepted that I've got this job to do, and it really doesn't matter what I do outside of doing this job, that this is the job. It's not spreading the good word. It's putting down the, the, the supernatural evils. Yeah, in this one he's still battling his own inner demons, not completely battling... The outer demons. old demons. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, it's an interesting story. We have a, a you know a great cast of characters. Um, he, he comes to this town, and like I said, he's kind of driven there by these dreams. And it's you know a day or two after he gets there, um, some odd things start occurring, and basically we have a, a full fledged uh, zombie outbreak in this town. Is the, the the crux of the story? Yeah, and um, as with most of the stories, at some point or another, he teams up with some local and they're kind of the partner in crime in the one story it was flower in other stories it was the uh the the guy who was in the cage and stuff like that and this mm-hmm. one it's a, a doctor and his daughter and then a little kid named david right mm-hmm. yep and um interestingly different about this story versus the others is that he has the opportunity before things go really weird to become more emotionally attached to these people and um, because of his self-hatred and, you know, conflicted life, he, you know, he realizes that, you know, he could be happy with a family, but he knows it's kind of not, he kind of understands it's not for him to have that type of life. So there's a lot more personal conflict and potential for, you know, you know, emotional happiness, which is definitely not the case with the other stories. Yeah, it really brings light. Like I said, some of the things he's at this point kind of finding his way around fighting the supernatural. Um, but yeah, at least in my mind, I think this is really where I settled in with that idea of old west horror, uh, maybe a little scarier than you know, 2013, 14, you know, apocalypse, zombie apocalypse stories. Oh, dude, definitely. 
I fully agree. So interesting. You know what I kept thinking though? There's I had a lot of thoughts about, you know, through the course of reading this, probably the most thinking I've done about things um, in a book in a while, where even though I was really into the story, I got these ideas, but I don't know if someone's done it or not, but dude, zombies in like Roman times would be pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Take it back to even before like like um, pistols, you know? So, but yeah, that, that's, oh, kind of, that's what I'm saying, where it's just like, it, it's like Spartacus versus the zombies. Like, that would be pretty badass. You get a gladiator in that fucking arena, mm-hmm. and he's got like a spear, and he's got to take down 10 zombies. Yeah, that'd be freaky. There you go, man. That's our ticket out of this podcast. Oh, man. So, Let's do it. Um, are we kind of done talking about the stories themselves? Yeah. Okay. Um, another another thought that I had in reading this um, these stories, and like I said, they were they were disjointed in that they you know the only common thread is the main character, reminded me a little bit of um, of Stephen King's The Gunslinger, the the first book in the Dark Tower series, only in that that was also kind of collected from short stories and then pieced together to make a book. Uh, obviously, the word gunslinger, uh, <laughs> you think that would have been what it was. <laughs> but no, as as I was reading through them, I kind of felt the the same way about that. It would be interesting to see um, eventually, I, I guess, because I never read the reissue, but King went back and kind of threaded them together a little better. I'd read it in its original incarnation, but it would be interesting to see these stories all tied together in one book with more of a flow between them, like like a bigger story throughout. Right. You know, I mean, I enjoyed them the, the way that they were, but I still want to know more about Jeb Mercer. And I think that's the thing about short stories is when you write a good short story, maybe you want to have your reader learn more about the character. Right. Um, And I think that he did a really good job with that. But yeah, I'd love to see the the full-length Jeb Mercer novel. Like a true, tried-and-true novel would be terrific. Yeah, especially now that... I mean, with all these stories and everything, he's invested enough time in in building the character and building some of the, the stories that he could very easily you know, refer back to or, or, you know, kind of cross-reference stuff he's already written um, from, I guess, and even, you know, maybe have some reappearing characters if if any of them survived any of the stories. I'm not going to say whether they did or not. Yeah. There'd be a lot <laughs> of different horse names you got to come up with, though, I'll tell you that. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it just yeah. I mean, really, really great stuff. And, and at least for us. And again, I know I know Bob Pastorella wrote a novella that was a supernatural western. You know, I mean, so it's not necessarily right. that it's brand new to, but brand new to this podcast. It was it was a very interesting, um, very interesting to look at supernatural in the old west. I agree. Um, I know you've been kind of doing quotes throughout. Did you mm-hmm. want to do some quotes? Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Since I already did like three or four, I'll kind of thumb through the rest and see what I've got. All right, I'm just going to drop a few because Livius is just um, totally broken with our, our you know normal formula and has been doing quotes throughout where I had to go to a different application. So look at my quotes. Um, here's just a couple really quick ones. Uh, these are from, first of all, Dead in the West. There's just a quick, a quick line that says it was a small army of stumblers, which reminded me, I thought there was a whole like runners versus stumblers conversation at one point, um, which kind of reminded me of that. A uh, couple examples of just how nasty and gruesome the uh, the writing can be. The fallen horses kept most of the zombies occupied. The guts of the animals were stretched across the street as the dead battled and tugged for the edibles. Kind of gross if you ask me. A little bit. All right. I don't know if I can really set this one up. This is just like the shit has hit the fan with the zombies. And, and like I said, David was the kid... Uh, that the reverend, one of the one of the people that the reverend had grown fond of, and uh, this is the reverend and David and uh, the doctor and his daughter are all trying to fight off these zombies, and this is focusing on David, <clears throat> a little girl David's age, charged at them. David, hesitating only a moment, raised the shotgun and fired. The shot hit the girl in the neck, and her head flew up. The body whirled in a circle, pumping blood, and finally fell. The head landed in the street, teeth snapping. David froze, looking at it. The head was trying to bite the ground with its teeth and pull itself along. The reverend snatched the shotgun from David and, using the empty weapon like a club, smashed the head. 
<laughs> yeah, there's some pretty gruesome stuff specifically in that story, especially in that story that uh yeah. Like that was pretty that's pretty rough. Yep. Um real quick one. Uh, <laughs> this is just uh the reverend talking to God actually. And he says, "Hallowed be thy name, O Lord, and shotgun do your stuff." I, I do remember almost marking that one as <laughs> This is the explanation. This is uh, this is. I'll let Livia take a take one after this. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, a description of someone getting sh- a zombie getting shot in the head, like a frightened prairie dog leaping from a hole. Her brains jumped out of the top of her head as she crumpled at David's feet. Yeah, very visually descriptive um, <laughs> throughout throughout this week. Um, yeah, go back to some of my favorite parts, which are people talking. This is a, a character named uh, Old Timer. Just thinking about that Jesus foolishness makes my ass tired. <laughs> preaching makes me want to kill the preacher and cut my own throat. Being at a preaching is like being tied down in a nest of red biting ants. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another gruesome description here. Reverend shot him right between the eyes, spraying blood and brains out the back of his head in a mess that looked like vomited strawberries. Oh, yeah, you really went with the gruesome this time. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I did. Here's a here's a little longer one. I don't know how long I'm going to read this because things like th- like three pages long. But <clears throat> well, now this is the ugly part, and I start to almost feel humanly sick when I think about it. Even though I'm deader than Custer in his whole outfit, still feel the fear, dead or not. Thinking back on it, this thing it come at me slow and easy, pulled its lips back on that long old snout and showed me all them teeth, and I went to screaming just like a little girl who's seen a spider. And boy, that thing liked that. It pulled those lips back even more and spit started dripping off its teeth. And then it crouched like... And finally I realized I was screaming because at first I was just doing it, not knowing I was, you know. And I heard that quality of it and I thought, well, you go to hell. I ain't screaming. Another sound. And then I shut my mouth and went quiet and made to go like, man, only I didn't. It just keeps going like that, but it's just this great little ramble. Yeah. Um a conversation between the reverend and someone else about him being a preacher. And the person says, God wouldn't like you to do what you've done. And his response is, you don't know God as well as I do under certain circumstances. He can be surprisingly flexible. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do another. I remember I did this on episode, but I called somebody out about a physical description of somebody. I'm calling you out. Joe Lansdale. Uh Oh, Cecil was 200 pounds on a six-foot frame. He wrapped his bulging arms, both tattooed with anchors. All right, so you get the idea. Dude, I'm like 220 on a six-foot frame, and I am not a big guy. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. There's a, there's a part in one of the stories where um, he referred... This blew my mind. I never thought of this, but like the way he said it was so brilliant. Um, he talked about people getting getting ideas in their heads when they're drunk. And he called it being bottle smart. Yes. That is brilliant. good stuff. That is good <laughs> stuff. You got any more you want to do? I mean, I've got I, tons, but I think at some point we have to let the readers read. Um, I got one more I want to throw out. Okay. This is someone describing an encounter with like a monstrous thing. And it's a, it's a lot longer than what I'm going to read, but the part I, I like is just kind of at the end of what I'm going to read. I got my brain back, brains back for a moment, started firing my six gun, but it wasn't doing no good. I'd have done about as much good to try and stop them by peeing on them, but I didn't even have that kind of ammunition, having already peed all over myself from being so scared. And I guess since I've gone this far, i got to say I messed myself too. I was so scared my goosebumps had goosebumps. I think that was from the same rant that I was Hold on, I just from. unplugged my headphones. got so excited I unplugged my headphones. I'm back. That's okay. I think that was from the same rant that I was, uh, I think I was reading for. It was just great stuff. <laughs> this last one's a little real short, but I, I really love this description. So um, there, uh, another character asked the Reverend, ain't there a Jesus part that isn't so nasty? He got put on a cross. That is nasty. And the rest of the time he needed a better attitude and a big stick. He got pushed around a lot. Nice. His views on religion are just fantastic. <laughs> All right, you think we're ready to do a wrap-up? I think I think we are. Why don't you go ahead and take this one? The, all right, uh, this is my first literary introduction to Mr. Lansdale. Had not read any of his stuff before. Had seen the movie Bubba Hotep, so I was familiar with some of his story, um, you know, ideas and stuff like that. But, um, like I said, yeah, first time being introduced to him, 
uh, in the words. And it was this really cool Western horror supernatural thing that um, was kind of cool. It was nice to have. I mean, what really amounts to a collection of short stories and novellas, but all tied together by such a solid character like Reverend Jebediah Mercer. Um, overall, great reading experience. It was a quick read. Um, I think it was confusingly like short and really long at the same time. Um, like Olivia said, The Dead in the West was almost the same length as the other four. But considering that the way that it's published, it was kind of like an extra in the print edition. I thought it was going to be quick, and it definitely wasn't. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Overall, really dug these stories, and I liked the, I don't know, the combination of the Old West and all these different supernatural elements, and the freedom that he kind of had to tie in the Native American aspect and, and Spanish conquistadors and all these different random things that you don't ever see in modern horror. So, and like Livia said, just the fact that you're living in the Old West and you don't have the, the benefit of technology and everything that comes with it, it did make the horrible parts a lot scarier. So just imagining myself in those situations. Again, I mean, I've said in a zombie outbreak in current times, I would be one of the first people to go. If there was a zombie outbreak in a little town in the Old West, I'd be lining up just to be like, just get, get, get it over with. I, I, don't, I can't handle this. So... Uh, Definitely did the trick of being really scary, and I dug it. I'm going to go... Maybe think about it right when at the end. I never like plan ahead of time, but uh, I'm going to do four stars for this. What Rob meant by terrifying was there were no iPhones. There were zero... Yeah. Yeah, there not one iPhone in this whole <laughs> goddamn book. How did these people get by? Anne Rice will never be able to write Old oh, West Horror. Anne Rice. Anne Rice. Hey, remind me to talk about Anne Rice after, after we're done with this. Yeah. Um... Yeah, what Rob said. Uh, what else did I say? The one thing that I love about Lansdale, and like I said, I know he's written 30-something novels. I'm, I'm guilty of only having read five, six, whatever happened, Leonard books. Um, characters, man. Characters, characters, characters. They are so goddamn entertaining. Um, weave that in with some good storytelling, and this is the first you know, truly um, you know, true piece of horror, I guess, I've read by him. I've read the, the novella that Baba Hotep, the, the film, was made from. Um, and that was more tongue-in-cheek horror. Uh, you know, so you've got good story, you've got good horror, you've got these great characters that are super entertaining, even though in some cases, you know, you've only got them for 30 pages, 40 pages, whatever the story length is. Um, and, and just entwined in, in with that, that kind of old-school prose that I think he did really well, I have no idea because I wasn't around. 150 years ago to, to hear how people spoke but um, I definitely got the, the right vibe from it the, that it was genuine or at least came across as genuine to me which is really all that matters when I guess I'm the one reading it so um, I'm with Rob on this uh, definitely four stars I really liked it boom there it is four stars first Joe Lansdale yeah good stuff man but yeah it's it's so interesting to the you know i'd love to talk to lansdale about this character and, and kind of the difference between the stories and, and you know and pick his brain because there's there's so much more we could talk about um but yeah we're already kind of already kind of pushing the limits of the the book review time here on the podcast jesus i didn't realize how long we've been going for <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so we've got a couple other quick things to talk about so we'll uh maybe speed up a little bit i mentioned ann rice all i want to say is the sequel to the wolf gift is coming for anybody who wants to read it it's on mm. its way do you think we can convince sean ferguson to to go a second round i, I sent him the same link i sent you when i saw it yeah. and uh all capital letters, an N followed by about fourteen O's, and then a couple exclamation points was his was his uh, response. Just to seeing that it was out, I didn't ask him to read it. Uh, just the fact that it existed. Um, but uh, a lot of fun reviewing that book. So who knows? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Oh, Anne Rice. All right. Well, I guess the the fan reaction was good enough that they needed another book of werewolves. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what else we got? All right. Well, all right. So here's the thing. I, you, you throw this one out there because you're you're the one that found it. I all was right. Busy at work and you came up with this. So I'm uh, tooling around the internet today because I don't live in the Wild West or the Old West or the Wild West, and I'm not in that movie with Will Smith called Wild Wild West. And um, 
on Facebook, something pops up where uh, Lit Reactor had put out an article about... Oh, let's read the title of the article. It is... Listen up, five awesome lit-based podcasts by Christopher Schultz. And I'm thinking, hey, lit-based podcasts. That's of some interest to us, right? Like, we're interested in that. It's kind of in our wheelhouse. Yep. So I'm interested to see what Lit Reactor has to say about five, uh, like, must-listen lit-based podcasts, right? Awesome lit-based podcasts. I'm thinking awesome lit-based podcasts. It's looking We're interested in awesome, right? We're interested <laughs> in awesome. <laughs> well, I thought we were. Yeah. So they, they, they talk about this. Christopher Schultz talks about five podcasts that are literature-based. Uh, the first one on the list. Any guesses, Livius? Well, you saw the list. I, so. I, I, have it, I have it pulled up in front of me, but when you were telling me this, <laughs> I thought, I'm sure Lit Reactor's podcast is on there. Lit Reactor's podcast is the first on the list. Mm-hmm. It's called Unprintable. And um, I don't care about it. All right, so moving on. Uh, second one on the list selected shorts which um, reading the description briefly basically is a bunch of famous people talking about books maybe mm-hmm. other people is the third one on the list hosted by the nervous uh, the guy who created the nervous breakdowns his name is Brad Listy and um, again I think it's just like a bunch of interviews and kind of an op-ed kind of thing, like a monologue situation at the beginning. So it's him talking a bunch and then he interviews people or whatever. Pretty sure that, uh, is that that's other people, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that I have actually listened to that once or twice. That's, but yeah, yeah I, I, no, nothing. The other two I haven't. Dude, yeah. Molly Ringwald was uh-huh. on that episode. Um, noticing a trend so far, though. Yeah, I yeah, keep going because there's still two more. He, had, he also had Megan Abbott on. Yeah. So... Anyway. I was far more excited than Molly Ringwald. So. Yeah. Um, number four on the list is a podcast called Nightmare, which is stories published in Nightmare Magazine. So it's a bunch of horror stories published as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Number five. Drum roll. Drum roll, please. Brrr, go ahead. Escape pod. Oh, man. Now, in in a twist... Now, if you remember back to when we were, you know, we received in a, a podcast of the year award from This Is Horror, one of our, our competitors was Pseudopod. Well, Escape Pod is um, affiliated with uh, um, Pseudopod, so it's kind of in the same group. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't even know what they do, but I think it's kind of the. Is it is it stories or is it yes. just talk? Yeah, I've listened. I've listened stories. to. Um a few of their episodes and maybe a dozen or whatever yeah i think they're the they have more of a sci-fi slant than um than pseudopod yeah yeah oh yeah yeah sci-fi more sci-fi and uh, i've liked what i've heard there i've liked yeah i liked what i've heard there Uh, a few of them i actually think that uh brayton um uh, skip papersley who's absent from this episode i think he turned me on to a couple of theirs that that he had really liked and recommended yeah um so yeah that's five so let, let me ask you a question just in looking at these um, you spend a little more time on this. Um, did do any of them read a book every week? No. Live readings no. hosted and, and recorded uh, and brought to people. Some of them have po- hosted live readings. Yes. Okay. Some, um, but do, not. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. So one of them, other people interviews people. That's cool. A couple of them are recordings of stories. That's cool because I know a podcast that won't make this list next year that um, that that will be doing that shortly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. any uh, of them publish their own anthology? Uh, I don't. I, think I so. don't see it yeah. in here. I don't. I don't see it. Uh, but this well, did. This did prompt me to make my own. My own <laughs> top five must listen to podcast list. All right. What is it? All right. In no particular order. <laughs> um, booked podcast. Yeah. Yeah. For that's a good previously one. mentioned reasons that these uh, these guys who do the show they read. <laughs> three to four books a month, mostly four lately, um, that they review for you. Um, they have had, I don't know, 70 something guests. They published an anthology. They bring you live readings, booked news. Who else has booked news? Skip Papersley? Yeah. Nobody. Not, not these guys, not these five that were mentioned on here. Exclusive. Um, and then I'd also like to plug, this is horror with their own podcast. 
um, where they do movie reviews, interviews, book reviews. So they do a, a very horror. Like ours is very much based around reviewing books, which, let's face it, people who listen to this kind of stuff, they're readers. So, um, But, yeah, they do everything horror, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. And then Books, Beer, and Bullshit. That's, that's the only three podcasts I listen to. The guys mm-hmm. at Books, Beer, and Bullshit interviews, um, they do some really, really weird reviews. You're not going to catch them doing a... <laughs> A, a review of even a, you know, a, something as as crazy as a Wild West um, horror thing, a lot of Bizarro and the like, um, but definitely a, another podcast worth checking out. That's my five. Well, the counting is a little bit off, but I'm no, go. no, that's my 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 five list. Okay, um, really quickly, mm-hmm. I do want to point out that the author, again, Christopher Schultz, gave himself a nice out. <clears throat> he uh, goes and he talks about like why he's doing this list and everything, and then he says, not only that, but there are plenty of podcasts dealing with all things bookish, be it celebrities reading short stories, authors reading their own short stories, authors reading other authors' short stories, or people talking about the world of literature. Then, before he goes to the list, he says, won't you join me in exploring five really good lit-based podcasts? Perhaps you'll subscribe to one yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that there were some um, comments, though, that were very, very nice to read. Um, thanks again to Rob, because I'm really not big on reading comments on, on uh, posts. I usually read the post, and that's it. But, um, Rob, would you like to throw out some special thank yous? Big thank you to Nikki Gerlane, who not only said booked podcast in the, in the comments, but was the only one that put the period after the word booked. Um, <laughs> and that's all it says, so thanks to her. Michael J. Reiser mentioned us, and actually he also put the period after booked, which I appreciate for that. Um, Bob Pastorella, again, it's all horror, and it's all booked from Bob Pastorella. Thank you, sir. Sean Leonard, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Sean Leonard, again. Not only does he mention us as being a, a lit-based podcast, but he says uh, our our uh, episode count is in the hundreds, and we won a Best Podcast Award, so thanks for that mm-hmm. call. Dan Donchi, Andre Bergen, no, Andres, Andy, Andy Bergen. Andy Bergen. Andy Bergen gave us a shout out. Um, and that's it. So, yeah, it's only been a couple hours. I get the feeling that there might be a riot on this, uh, this website. <laughs> well, once our episode goes live, everybody, Christopher Schultz. <laughs> yeah, follow him on Twitter and, and let him know a thing or two. Uh, here's his bio on Lit Reactor. Is that going too far? No, I don't think so. All right. Writes flash fiction, short stories, novels, and screenplays. He's a proud winner of Lit Reactor's inaugural short sto- short shorts contest. I'm assuming that's like wearing short shorts. It's <laughs> that's what I was like thinking. Writing. Maybe I did this all wrong when I sent <laughs> in my pictures. He had to get a bikini wax before winning that award. Uh, and his work has been accepted slash published at Ascent Aspirations and Micro Horror. He also frequently contributes editorials to... I'm getting bored. Anyway, um, lives in Oklahoma. That's J. David Osborne. You're the closest to Christopher Schultz. If you want to take care of this for us, we'd appreciate it. J. drive on over and make him listen to one of our episodes. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, so at any rate, uh, thanks to the folks that Rob mentioned for, uh, for mentioning Booked. We love you guys. You're the reason we do this, you and the few other people that listen. Um, thanks in advance so- to J. David Osborne. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that. We got snubbed. snubbed. Snubbed by Lit Reactor, who, when they first launched, we gave such attention to. Mm-hmm. And we still, we use we use their news sometimes. We do. Can I also speak, just because I'm on this page, and while you were talking and I was busy seething that we weren't on this list, I did take a quick look at this. I'm very, very disappointed. Now, I'm not necessarily like crazy anti-drugs or whatever. But did you see this Lee Child thing where he smokes pot five nights a week and writes? No. Okay. So here's the gist of it. Oh, yeah. I've been smoking weed for 44 years, five nights a week. I'm the poster boy to prove it doesn't do you much harm. I have a guy on speed dial in New York who comes over with a huge range of marijuana. I smoke it in a pipe because I've never been any good at rolling my own joints. Really, Lee Child? Did we really, really need to put that out there that one of the most successful writers out there right now is stoned out of his mind half the time? I mean, is that really the the right example to set for budding young writers? 
I mean, I was reading stuff like Lee Child when I was 12. I, mean, I was yeah. reading a lot of, like, you know, it would be classified men's adventure action books. And I was just very, very disappointed in Lee Child and his decision to, to you know, create news by talking about just being a pothead. you be a pothead, that's fine. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to tell you how to live your life. But when you're somebody who's in the spotlight like he is, I think it's just a poor choice to, to make a decision to tell people. Not that it's okay to smoke pot, but that I've been doing it for 44 years, five nights a week. Mm, no. Um. I don't have an opinion much one way or the other on that. I know you're a little more conservative than I am on those issues. And um, I don't know if you're into the decriminalization thing or something. Obviously, you'd be more outspoken yeah. about it. But um, yeah. I, Dude, it's like saying, like, I'm a raging alcoholic. <laughs> like, I drink every goddamn night before I write. I put down, like, a bottle of whiskey. Like, I wouldn't think that was really that okay to share either. Like, and then to say it, like... I'm a poster child to prove it doesn't do you much harm. Like, Here, I don't know. Here's what we got to do. We get Lee Child on. We don't talk about him smoking weed. We start asking him about other people that write and if he knows, like, whether they <laughs> smoke weed or not and how good their writing is. Like, who else do you know that smokes weed constantly and actually, you know, makes a living as a writer? Yeah. I don't know. That's he could just... be the outlier is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed in Lee Child. That's all. <laughs> well, here's let's go to some good news. A, a mm-hmm. writer that we can all uh, look up to. Absolutely. So uh, not that long ago, we had what um, wound up being Chuck Wendig month um, here at Booked. Um, <laughs> very. Ex- I'm looking at it for the first time, by the way. Ooh, nice. Released recently today, yesterday, maybe? Yeah, okay. he dropped a new blog post today. Um, the cover for Miriam Black, book number three. The Cormorant. Cormorant? Cormorant? Sure. These guys need to make more pronounceable uh, those covers. <laughs> Dude, this cover is as equally badass as the previous two covers. Yeah, Miriam got a bit of a haircut, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Dude, there's it says, hello, Miriam, on the side of her boob, which is just awesome. <laughs> All right, that's not what my eye was drawn to. I like the fact that at the top of the book, it is actually blurbed by one of our recent reviewees. Lauren Bucus, who wrote The Shining Girls, said fast, ferocious, sharp as a switchblade, and fucking fantastic. No, we don't know that that's what it says, because there's some stars in there. All right, it's shitting fantastic. It could be. It could be something Pissing like fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish I wouldn't have brought it up now. <laughs> but, uh, another awesome cover, and definitely one of uh, my personally most anticipated books. Very, yeah. very excited for this to uh, to come out. I'm sure it'll be mentioned on the show. I don't know if we're, if we're going to have another Wendig month where all we do is talk about that guy. But uh, pretty cool. You can get Miriam Black book number one, Blackbirds, and book number two, Mockingbird, for under five bucks a pop as ebooks. Uh, you can do that. You've got until December to catch up uh, before the Cormorant. Cormorant, I have no idea. That's right. And you can get our reviews of Blackbirds and Mockingbird and our interview of Chuck Wendig all for free over at Booked podcast.com just search for chuck wendig is all going to pop up and there's going to be so much good it's crazy all right um i think it's time to leave you folks back to whatever you do um when you're not listening to booked i tell you what the next episode was if i had any idea all right i have to make a formal apology Oh, that's right. Let's you, talk about I can't believe you didn't call me out on that. I forgot. I forgot all about this. Well, um, I am for the first time recording from Booked Studio, so we are going through a little bit of growing pains. Um, I live in Boys Town, which is a neighborhood in Chicago, known for being a gay neighborhood, and um, I live is right. Is that across why they call it Boys Town? That's why it's called Boys Town. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I happen to live right across the street from a very popular gay bar. So, um, and there's a bus stop literally right in front of my window. So, if there are some noises that you're unaccustomed to, if the motorcycles sound louder, that's because they're actually on my side. They're not by Livius <laughs> this time. And, um, um, so, Rob, the, yeah. the place you live in, um, do, you, do you have any interesting neighbors or anything that interesting you, you, share, you share a building with? or Oh, uh, like residential or commercial i'm just curious um i've met some of my neighbors they're nice people um i I do live directly above a toy store 
Which what's the name cool. of that? What's the name of that toy store again? Gameart. Gameart. And yeah. when you say toy store, yeah, is this? Oh like no, no, I'm talking about uh... matchbox cars and <laughs> yeah. model trains, or yeah. is this like action figures, okay. Doctor Who memorabilia, stuff like that? Like I'm glad actual... you, I'm glad you stopped me before I had to get to the description <laughs> of the other um, possibility. Toy. Well, hold on. Mm-hmm. Directly next to the 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 toy store game art is a place called Tulip, which is a uh, a romantic adult boutique of sorts. Dude, what did uh, Lansdale call a penis when he was was it? It wasn't a tulip. What was it? It was a lily. A lily. That's what it was. When he was talking about the guys uh, like going out and, and pissing, and they're like, yeah. yeah, he flipped his lily out of his pants. So it wasn't a tulip. Never mind. <laughs> it was close though. It was very yeah. close. Yeah. So, oh, and it, that reminds me in the in the um, Dead in the West thing I didn't bring up. There's a one point where <laughs> there's this guy who dresses really nice, but he's also a huge alcoholic, and someone grabs him by his coat. But his coat is, uh, I guess, the style is Prince Albert, so he grabbed him by his Prince Albert, which to me meant something entirely different. It was like, wow, <laughs> they had those back then. Ah. <sighs> But I think I think the book studio worked out okay, to be honest. And the reason we're calling it the book studio is why, Rob? It's a studio apartment. Yep. It's a studio apartment, which makes it perfect for it to be booked studio. Booked studio coming at you. So very cool. Congratulations on your new on your new uh, place. Thank you, sir. Still getting settled in, but uh, I had the internet set up before anything, which is the most important. Because without the internet, we couldn't do this. Without the internet, it's the wild, wild west. That's right. Um, yeah, so hopefully uh, we'll be bringing you at least another hundred episodes before Rob has to move into a new place, into the booked mansion. <laughs> booked manor? Yeah, booked manor. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it sounds good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does, actually. I like that, booked manor. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rob and I have been uh, tussling over what's next, so we have some ideas. We just haven't been able to come to an agreement on them. But uh, as always, we promise you there will be a next episode. We're just not sure what it is right now. That's right. And you know, now that I think of it, no one's ever been like, hey, you know what? We really want to know what's coming up next. <laughs> so I don't know how much it really matters that we tell people ahead of time. So I'm okay with not knowing right away what we're going to do next. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So mm-hmm. from now on, I'm not telling you what we're doing next. You show up the night of the show and you'll find out, buddy. <laughs> uh, sweet. All right. I think that's going to do it for uh, this episode of Booked coming to you from, at least half of us are coming to you from Book Studio. Uh, until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snud, and keep reading. Uh, uh, can't stop the bum rush. The Wild Wild West.